What do the squad and MAGA Republicans in Congress have to say about the future of American politics? Find out in episode 755 of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Hey, look, if you're looking for a great gift, click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. You've got t-shirts, you've got wall clocks, you've got skins for your electronic devices. Lots of cool things there. It's a great way to support the show as well. And of course, if you like the podcast, make sure you are sharing it around on social media. Make sure you're rate reviewing and subscribing to the podcast. It's a great way to help support the show painlessly. All you got to do is just leave that five-star review, leave a text review wherever you get your podcasts. It's, uh, again, a phenomenal way to help grow the show. And send me those show requests. If you want to hear something, let me know what you want to hear. All right, well, let's talk about the topic, as I mentioned at the top of the program. We've got progressives now, the squad, and we've got the MAGA Republicans. And we've talked about a lot about philosophy in the first two episodes this week of the show, these concepts of liberty. And this actually factors into these two factions in Congress. So what do these two factions actually have to say about the future of American politics? Well, I think a lot. And it goes down to these two concepts of liberty. For the squad and for uh, those on the left, there certainly is this conception of liberty that is community-based. It is the liberty, the public liberty over individual liberty. Now, they would, they would bristle at this. Well, wait a second. What about, uh, what about the Dobbs decision? That's individual liberty. But for the most part, it's public liberty. It, and even when you look at things like uh, marriage, this is public liberty. It's not about individual liberty. It's people to have a public liberty to be able to do whatever they want in public and be accepted in public writ large. Because even if that was the, the uh, you know, same-sex marriage issue was simply illegal, that comes down to benefits, but most people would just ignore it. They would look the other way if they knew something was going on. Most Americans had accepted this in society. They had just not accepted having a legal definition of that because that comes down to how this issue is taught in schools, how it's addressed in society, how it's shown in the media. There's a, a new uh, film coming out. Uh, it's M. Night Shyamalan uh, movie, which looked at the concept of it looked really good. But again, it's got uh, a an issue with this uh, with a same-sex couple again to make it or you have the new willow you've so it's the, the way that it's liberty writ large it's, it's the public liberty that's at stake and the public liberty for them is their agenda on the other side you have the right which is you know more interested in individual liberty or saying we don't want we don't like this stuff uh, we don't want it in our faces we don't want to see it and so you have the the opportunity to reject those things and not support any of that stuff. And you can do that too. And we've seen how that's actually happened. I think that the left overplays their hand more often than not on these social issues and they end up getting thrown back in their face that people don't really like this stuff. Uh, they have to tolerate it, but they don't like it. Uh, outside of, you know, all right, we tolerate that it's there, but we don't want it thrown in our faces all the time. So um, the... The fact is, we have these two concepts of liberty, and then these two concepts of American society, and the examples are the squad in Congress and the MAGA Republicans. 
And this gets down to a very interesting position on American politics, particularly in the age of the two-party system. The squad in, in D.C., and there was a, an article in Politico about the expanded squad, these progressives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others, uh, Representative Omar, and uh, some of the new people that are now coming in uh, to Congress who are considered to be young progressives, and the amount of power they wield in the Democrat Party. In fact, you could say that because of their influence in the last Congress, they were able to craft bills and legislation that they got what they wanted because they wouldn't support it. And if they didn't support it, then these bills would be defeated because the Republicans were going to vote against it. So those members of the squad, because you have razor-thin majorities, were able to ensure that far-left legislation got presented to Congress and it was passed through. This is where people like Joe Manchin um, and, and among you know a couple of two or three senators were able to hold these things up because they didn't really like this far-left stuff coming out of the House. And the Senate is designed to really be that, this, this check on popular democracy in the House of Representatives. But the squad knew what they were doing. And I'll give you a, a, a kind of a pop culture example of this. If you ever watched the show Survivor, the people had figured out the smart people, smart contestants on that show, to get into blocks of voting. It wasn't just about you know individual alliances. There were voting blocks, and those voting blocks were fluid. And if you had voting blocks, you could control the game. And this is exactly what's happening in Congress now. I think the younger people in Congress, and the Democrats are better at this than those in the Republican Party, have figured out their voting block can control things. Now, it doesn't mean people haven't thought of this before. And about 25 or 30 years ago, there was a thought put forward that if uh, you could have a strong group of paleoconservatives or southern conservatives in the Congress, and they could, they could hold fast. They could control the direction of the Congress every single session. If they would just stick to their guns and stick to their agenda, because the other sides would have to negotiate with them on everything. And essentially, this is nothing new. The South was able to do this for years in the Congress. There's actually a book that was written in the 1970s, it's the natural superiority of Southern politicians. And it explains how Southerners were able to control committees. They were able to control the Congress. They were able to control the agenda in American politics because they held pretty strong to their positions. Now, it didn't mean they got everything they wanted or everything they wished for. And oftentimes, they would lose on some important things. But that block was able to do a lot in Congress. And so there's a, there's a lesson to be learned from that, particularly from, for the MAGA Republicans now in a razor-thin majority. Look, Republican Party only has 218 seats in the incoming Congress. I mean, they've got a four-seat majority. So if you had, say, five to ten Republicans, you could control the entire Congress if these people would just hold fast and not vote for nonsense. Five to ten. You could control the Congress. That's, of course, that's assuming that Republicans and Democrats are lockstep um, in line with one thing or the other. Now, what's happened, though, it's interesting in Congress with the rules. There's no more a chance for amendments. And this is where the, the leadership, uh, Nancy Pelosi, and, of course, the establishment leadership has really tied the hands of any of these factions to do much of anything. 
whether it's the progressives or those on the right, because when you can't offer amendments and there is, really isn't debate anymore, you can't hold up the process. That's why we got this massive omnibus bill, even though members of the squad didn't vote for it, even though the Republicans didn't vote for it, enough of the establishment people did because this is business as usual in Washington. The real issue is going to come down to Kevin McCarthy. Is Kevin McCarthy going to be the guy, and I talked about this a few weeks back on the podcast, is Kevin McCarthy going to be the guy who will lead the House of Representatives in the incoming Congress? And you've got five members of the Republican Party who are saying they're not going to do it. They're not going to vote for him, and they're going to go for a consensus candidate. Now, what does that mean? We've seen some speculation that uh, Democrats would do something like bring in Liz Cheney. You don't have to be a member of the House to be the Speaker of the House. There's, It's not a requirement. You could bring in anybody you wanted to be Speaker of the House. Heck, you could bring in Donald Trump if you wanted to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, that's not going to happen. But my point is, you could have anybody. You could have uh, you could have uh, Bill Gates be the Speaker of the House. You could have you could have Elon Musk be the Speaker of the House. It doesn't matter. You could have anybody you wanted if you can get the House to vote for it. So we often look at it as being a member of the House of Representatives, but it doesn't have to be that way. It could be somebody else. So um, this is going to be an interesting battle, and it's going to it's going to show where these these strong core of people who are principled on the left and the right, are going to have a tremendous amount of influence in this new government when you have raised within majorities. And I think it's going to continue to be that way for a pretty substantial period of time as we're seeing uh, the, the gerrymandering of districts. You've got, I mean, districts now that are never going to swing the other way. I think that what as the states have done this, you're going to see a razor-thin majority almost always in the Congress for one party or the other. Razor thin. You're not ever going to have these massive, you know, super majorities for the Democrats or super majorities for the Republicans. I just don't see it happening that way anymore. And I do think the Senate's going to continue to be very evenly split. I didn't think the the uh, Democrats will be able to hold it, though. We know uh, uh, Sinema has has bolted the Democrat Party, which cuts down their majority now, I guess, to fifty to forty nine. So if Manchin decides he's not going to vote with the Democrats, you're at 49-49 again. And these two have all the power again. So that would put the committees back to a 50-50 standing, which would be a very interesting situation because the Democrats wouldn't control the committees any longer. That's the real issue in the Senate right now. It's not the, the, the close vote because you can have one or two senators slip at any time and it goes the other way. But it's the control of the committees and what's going to happen in the committees. And of course, the big committee is the Judiciary Committee, which has to do with uh, federal court appointments. That's where the Democrats really want to have a lot of say because they want to put, they, they know that the court, to get their agenda through, is going to have to be on their side and that the Republicans control the courts. Well, they're never going to get their agenda through. So it always comes down to the courts, which is why the Supreme Court and the federal court system is the, one of the greatest disasters in American history and the way that it's been used. But I want to go to this article. There's a couple of articles I want to focus on today. One is that Politico article, and the other is an article in Mediaite. Uh, we'll start with the with the Republican position. This is by, by Joe DiPaolo. And the uh, headline is, MAGA congressman tells Fox News he will never vote for McCarthy's imperiled speakership bid. 
It says a far-right congressman is doubling down on his stance that he will not vote for Kevin McCarthy for House Speaker under any circumstances. Appearing on the Fox Midday Show America's Newsroom, Representative Andy Biggs, Republican Arizona, said he's holding firm as a never-Kevin. Asked by Fox News anchor Rich Edson whether he would vote for, ever vote for McCarthy, Biggs responded in the negative. I don't think so, Biggs said. Here's why. He's got a body of work. You go back to 17 and 18. Look at why we had Democrats voting for the Republican budgets. Because Republicans didn't want these budgets, but the floor leader, Mr. McCarthy, cut those deals with the Democrats. President Trump signed those budgets, but he said they were the worst budgets ever, and he was probably right until the later budgets we had seen from Democrats. Now, again, this is an interesting quote. Do I, do I think Biggs is going to hold true? Maybe. Do I think Biggs is going to stick to his guns? Maybe. But the fact is, he's pointing out the real sham of the Republican Party. He's saying Republicans didn't want those budgets. Well, you had Republicans vote for them. But on the other hand, you had, you had, you had the establishment Republicans vote for them. And you had Donald Trump sign them into law. Trump wasn't going to have a government shutdown. They were awful budgets. And of course, Trump tried to veto, this is the thing, tried to veto a very awful uh, military spending bill, which created the naming commission, which has now decided it's going to tear down anything uh, anything Confederate in the American military. And of course, uh, attempting to tear down the Moses Ezekiel monument at Arlington National Cemetery, which is a just a barbaric move. But the fact is, uh, this is the Democrats, this is the squad, because these are things they wanted, having influence in these budgets and behind the scenes. And Kevin McCarthy, uh, this is, of course, before that, 1718, Kevin McCarthy was responsible for these massive spending bills that came out of the Republican Party. The Republicans controlled the Congress in Trump's first two years in office. They could have done anything they wanted. But they didn't. Why? Because the Republican Party is a stupid party. And because Kevin McCarthy was more interested in quote-unquote bipartisanship than anything else. The Democrats never played that game. The Democrats just go out and they kneecap their opponents. They go after their agenda. This is why the Democrats are much smarter politically than the Republicans every single day of the week. And I'll talk about that with the squad stuff in a minute. The piece says Biggs is one of five House Republicans who say they will not vote for McCarthy under any circumstances. With Republicans having a four-seat majority, five nay votes would ultimately keep McCarthy from the speakership. And that already slender majority includes in battle representative-elect George Santos, who is currently under federal investigation and is the subject of widespread condemnation after it was revealed he fabricated much of his background. I mean, go figure. The Arizona congressman and other Republicans opposing McCarthy have come under increasing pressure from their colleagues and conservative media to cave, but have shown no signs of doing so. Biggs is running for the post himself, but mostly just to block McCarthy. He told Fox he believes a consensus candidate will emerge, but he declined to name that candidate. So uh, Biggs is saying, look, we're going to block McCarthy. Now, the reason that the media, Conservative Inc., is trying to get these Republicans to cave is because they think that someone like Nancy Pelosi could be put back in the speaker position, even though Republicans have the majority. Because the Democrats would then get to pick the speaker. They would, they would get to choose who would be the speaker. Now, if Republicans voted in lockstep, they would, they would block, theoretically block someone like Nancy Pelosi. The, the, the five Republicans would switch and not vote for her. But 
Could it be somebody else? Could you get enough, say, Republicans to vote for Liz Cheney? And then these five Republicans couldn't, couldn't block a Liz Cheney. You would have enough Republicans who might do it because there's a few out there. And if you just get, say, 10 Republicans to, de- to defect with the Democrats, well, then the Democrats get to pick the speaker. The Democrats want this, right? So this is where conservative, quote-unquote, conservative media is trying to get these people to back down because they think McCarthy is better than whatever the left would put up there. Um. And there might be something to that, but it shows you the power of the squad and the way the Democrats play hardball, and they're better at it than the Republicans. So let's look at this Politico piece. The title is Larger Squad, How the Hill's Newest Progressives Plan to Wield Power. And there's five new members of the squad. So this is from Nicholas Wu. Even as House Democrats shrink into the minority, the voices of progressive lawmakers inspired by the so-called squad are set to grow only louder. An optimistic crop of liberal first-time-year lawmakers, or first-year lawmakers, I should say, is confident they can pry back the majority from Republicans in two years. In the meantime, add another five members aligned with the liberal Working Families Party to the ever-expanding list of those vowing to push President Joe Biden's administration to the left on priorities like workers' rights, climate change, and immigration. And they've already turned into a, cli- in, in, into a cliche critical to commanding Congress. There's power in numbers. While several soon-to-be members had already come together on campaign, the campaign trail and grew closer as they descended on Washington, they've also forged alliances with other incoming lawmakers they met for the first time at orientation. So the idea is to, again, create a block. And this block can have a tremendous amount of influence. Look, for all the things that Ocasio-Cortez and all these squad people are, are bad about, one thing they are good at, or at least they do better than anyone else, is they are independent. They will, they will break off at times and do things independently of the Democrats. Um, it doesn't mean they always do this. And of course, uh, Cortez, her, her record and other people's record is not one that would just completely infatuate the progressive left. They they often vote for things the progressive left would oppose. But Cortez is savvy. And so are these other people. I mean, you got to give it to them. They're savvy. You know, Cort- uh, if, you, if you're into social media, there's these new things now, these uh, you know year-in-review little things that you get on email and other things. And what was your year like? And Cortez does this stuff. She goes out on social media and she puts out a little video. She's photogenic. And I think that because of that, um, they're going to wield a lot of power in that in that Congress, whether they're in control or not. And there are some a lot. There are some things that the, the progressive left, and if you had a real old right, would agree on. Foreign policy would theoretically be one. Uh, they would disagree on what to do with the money. The progressive left would want to have more money. But there are some things where they could block this establishment Republican and establishment Democrat coalition, particularly things like. Uh, you know, the Ukrainian war. If the progressive left was really honest about it, they wouldn't be supporting any American funding for that at all. And you could actually have a coalition block this kind of stuff. Regardless. Um, The piece continues, I think that as legislators, our job is to agenda set. It's to govern. It's to create policy. But it's also to put forth that best case and bring people over to us, said Representative-elect Summer Lee, Democrat, Pennsylvania, 
one of two Justice Democrat-backed candidates to win a general election. That's what progressives have to do, whether we're in the majority or the minority. That's going to be where a lot of power is in expanding the realm of what's possible. It's too... Go- now, see, look. A legis- they think this legislators' are, our job is to agenda set. It's to govern. It's to create policy. Think about what this says. I mean, gosh, it's disgusting in reality. Our job as a legislator is to go in and govern. It's to set rules. It's to go in and control you. It's to go in and set policies that you have to follow. Not to control the tyranny of man, and even though in their mind it would be the case, but to control the liberty of man. Uh, and that is where we have these problems. He says they're all set to join a Democratic caucus that's becoming younger, more diverse, and more liberal. It's potentially more hospitable terrain than what the squad faced four years ago when the original group of four progressive lawmakers became a favorite target for Republicans and even some moderate Democrats. Lee and other lawmakers... First of all, how is Summer Lee able to keep this name? I mean, I don't know. This is this. Uh, she needs to consider, reconsider her last name there. Uh... Lee is uh, certainly not something that we can tolerate from the progressives. Uh, Lee and other lawmakers are looking to the group of six as an example of the power those with similar values can wield despite being relatively junior legislators with little concrete congressional influence. So much of my class and all of orientation, people have felt really inspired because we know that odds are we will retake the House and we will be in the majority in two years. Representative-elect Greg, Greg uh, Kaser, Democrat Texas, the other Justice Democrat-backed candidate to win last month, said in a recent interview, the progressive energy, especially in young people of color, working-class communities, young people, that's what we bring. Now, this is overly optimistic. I'm not so certain that Democrats will be back in power in two years. I don't think so. Um, particularly if the economy tanks this year in 2024, which there's certainly talk of a recession if the war drums heat up. Now, Republicans are going to have to own some of this stuff once they're in power in Congress, or at least in the House. But they can always point back to the Senate and say, we tried, but the Senate blocked things. So there's always that. I think the blame game is going to be important in 2024 as we look to the presidential election year. And I'm not so certain the Democrats are going to win, though what they hope is that you get down-ballot support, right? If people go out and support and you know, mail-in ballot, uh, mail-in vote for Joe Biden in large numbers that that will translate to election victories for Democrats in Congress. The group of new members, which includes Representative-elect uh, Delia Ramirez, Maxwell Frost, Becca uh, Balint, Lee, and Caesar, has a text thread in which they discuss everything from the news articles and policy ideas to memes and puppies. They jokingly call Representative-elect Robert Garcia, the first openly LGBTQ immigrant elected to Congress, Mr. President. They've already got a bourbon supplier and Representative-elect Morgan McGarvey. I mean, this is just funny, right? So funny. People would, somehow people would read this and they would think this is, this is great. I, I don't get it, but anyways, that's just me. They're also helping each other find affordable housing, with Ramirez and Lee playing to room together to save money in the expensive D.C. area. Now, this is great. You see, affordable housing for congressmen. We have to have affordable housing. You want to know what congressmen lived in in the 19th century? Boarding houses. They all lived together. Nobody had their own place, their own apartment, and 
you know, all these things. They lived in a boarding house together and they had roommates all the time. This is what Congress was. It was uncomfortable. People didn't want to be there. They all ate together at meals. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to go home, back to their constituents. They wanted to get out of D.C. and spend as little time possible in D.C. And now we look at it, well, these people need cushy apartments. They need beautiful places to stay. Look at all the perks they need in Congress. These are things that are important for congressmen. Why? Make it uncomfortable. In fact, don't have any air conditioning in the Capitol building. You really want to have Congress uh, you know, not want to be there. Cut off the AC. Make it uncomfortable in D.C. for these people to be around. Because then they won't be agenda-setting, policy-making, and legislating. They'll go home. Mirroring squad members' pension for talking about their own everyday hardships in life, Ramirez spoke plainly about her financial struggles that made a roommate necessary, even with a six-figure congressional salary. She listed off credit card debt, medical debt from two recent miscarriages, her husband working as a freelancer, and a mortgage back home. I don't want to feel embarrassed, but damn, that's not the reality or something that many of my colleagues ever have to worry about, said Ramirez, a self-described housing legislator. Ramirez said she and her husband made the tough decision for him to stay back in Illinois and visit D.C. occasionally. Well, that's not going to work out well for them, I'm almost positive. While there's not a formal process to join the squad, many of the members-elect cited the progressive group as a model for how they hope to govern. They praised the example set by members like first-term Representative Cory Bush, who last year slept overnight on the steps of the Capitol to protest the end of an eviction moratorium during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, Cory Bush, so heroic. Days after she started a protest, the Biden administration announced that we continue the moratorium in most of the U.S. Um, so this is... Gosh, this LARPing really makes a difference. And I mean, these people have, have, look, history matters here. These people have been brought up in the modern American education system where the only heroes are leftist heroes, where the only heroes are the people that are for quote-unquote social justice, where the only heroes are the underdogs. These are the only heroes anymore. And so they think everything is um, legislative change. And again, because of voting blocks, they're going to have a pretty strong sense of power. That's what I said at the beginning of the podcast. What are these two groups going to do in the future? I think the MAGA people can have a pretty substantial influence and impact on the Republican agenda. Just as I think these progressives are going to have a pretty strong influence and impact on the Democrat agenda, even though I think it's all silly on their side. But regardless, they're going to have a really strong impact in that. Uh, and because they understand the power of blocks. Voting blocks. This is the future of American politics. I just appreciate her honesty, how authentic she is, but also how intentional she is about how to move the needle, even if it means outside of the legislative process, said Ramirez, who said her one-on-one -on -one with Bush during orientation was one of her most profound conversations. The Illinois legislator also said that she was squad member Representative Alana Presley's biggest fan, and she knows this. So you've, <laughs> so you've already got this, this, this representative's fangirling on these other two uh, representatives. Uh, oh, I'm your biggest fan. Uh, you know, uh, Ayanna Presley, I'm your biggest fan, and you've got that, and you've got Cori Bush. I mean, I, we've, we've got to just uh, get it. We've we got to work together. These people are lost. They really are. We went from you know Henry Clay to this. It's it's embarrassing. 
The incoming Liberals know legislation that addresses their goals will be next to impossible with the GOP-controlled House. Instead, they're ready to whip out a different tool at their disposal, pushing the Biden administration to enact principles through executive actions, no matter how short-lived they could prove to be. Now, here is the catch. We don't need the Congress. We need a pen and a phone. You see, because this is outing the dirty little secret in D.C. anyways. Legislation doesn't happen with the Congress anymore. It happens with the president. And we can get the president with his pen and his phone to do everything we want him to do. Because we can put pressure on the administration. That's the key. Now, the danger in all that, as I pointed out before, in executive government is what happens if they don't control the executive. Or, of course, the MAGA people could do the exact same thing with Donald Trump. And we see how this then creates a chaos in Washington because Trump came in and did exactly what Biden did. He signed a whole bunch of executive orders. And then Biden signed a whole bunch of executive orders when he was there. And if Biden's out of office, if Donald Trump comes back or Ron DeSantis, whoever's going to be the Republican president, if that happens in 2024, they're going to sign a whole bunch of executive orders the other way. I mean, now we've got executive government. We have a king and a rubber stamp Congress for the most part. This is not real, real representative government at all. It's a sham. The only place you get real representative government, of course, is at the state and local level. We need to push and work with the Biden administration to get as much as we can done, Caesar said, citing stronger, or is Caesar, Caesar, I don't know, is Caesar, Caesar, I don't know, citing stronger overtime rules and labor protections as some of his top priorities. He's set to wield power as a Congressional Progressive Caucus whip in the upcoming term. Caesar is used to butting heads with the GOP and finding creative workarounds. His sin on the Democratic City Council in Austin, Texas, was marked by statewide Republicans' constant efforts to preempt much of their local legislation, such as when the legislature passed a law that forced local governments to allow law enforcement to ask suspects about their immigration status. Kaser said that they found a way to implement the legislation that effectively neutered the GOP-led law. Now, this is interesting because, uh, you know, Kaser working from, the, from thinking locally and acting locally. Cities, though, are different. Texas was ridiculous for allowing this stuff to happen because they could have just jerked uh, Austin's incorporation. They could have just said, you're no longer a city. Kaser, you go home. They could have done it, but they won't do it. But you see, in the states, they have all the power. The Republicans in the state legislatures have all the power over these cities if they just wanted it, if they knew how to use it. But that would mean they'd have to run Austin themselves, and they're not going to do it. But you could have done it. You could have revoked their, their charter. Then you could have put another government back in uh, and, uh, you know, did some things differently so that, well, I mean, Kaser wouldn't have been back in the government. They could have done anything they wanted, but they won't do it. Additionally, the group is ready to use the time and the minority to shape Democratic priorities, looking to force tough inter-party conversations immediately. Lee, for example, said she wants to address efforts to shun progressive lawmakers through outside spending in elections. She personally faced a deluge of spending from outside entities in her race, including from the pro-Israel group AIPAC that made her bid for a seat. Uh, President Joe Biden won by 20 points, surprisingly competitive. The influx of money, she said, oftentimes impacts particularly progressives, but also black and brown folks and women as we're trying to break into a system that is already very hard and difficult for us to get into in the first place. So it stacks advantages. (laughs) Again, playing a victim status here. Uh, Maybe she just wasn't a good candidate. Now, outside money is a problem anywhere. Anywhere. Um, so this is something that, you know, you could say, well, 
I mean, should we have uh, United States Senate seats that are then national Senate seats? Should you be allowed to have uh, funding coming in for Senate seats uh, in, say, Texas from Massachusetts? Uh, No, you shouldn't. But, I mean, this is where uh, you'd have to talk about these things. And I don't think this is necessarily um, a bad idea to try to prohibit foreign money in elections. We have to prioritize money in politics, she added. The progressive wing of the party is absolutely under attack. Well, so is the other side, right? I mean, look, uh, George Soros is using his money to fund the other side against conservatives. It happens all the time. So there's something to be said for this. But regardless, my point in all this is that these two blocks are going to have a tremendous amount to say in the future of American politics. And they should. I mean, in, in a way that you said, well, if they're representing their constituents, this is what they're supposed to do, and they're not supposed to just be R&D. I think it's a healthy thing that you're starting to see some, some identity come out of American politics other than just R&D. It's a very healthy thing for American politics. And again, the, what I would ultimately hope all, what would happen out of this is that you get more interest in state and local politics because of the gridlock that's going to happen in D.C. For the next two years, you're not going to get much done at all. If... Everything works out. I mean, the Senate's going to block the House. The House is not going to buckle. And you've got Joe Biden then legislating with a pen. I mean, there's going to be a tremendous amount of dead uh, of gridlock uh, in you know in in D.C. for two years. And so the states and local government really can take this and use this to their advantage and do what they need to do to reassert their power, their constitutional power, in uh, American government. All right. Great week of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll be back next week for four episodes. We're back full-time next week. If you want to catch me for another episode every week, though, don't forget to check out the Abbeville Institute podcast. Just look for Abbeville Institute. It's also available wherever you get your podcasts. 